California is only being two days away and already being on fire. Mexican groceries. Roger's smart home in the hills of Silver Lake. Vapid, pointless conversations in a bar in Silver Lake. Savannah's Buddhist sanctuary. Waiting with sunflowers at baggage claim. Green hills dusted with adobo. Still woozy, joy crooks, bands from high school. Long drives. Thinking that the sky doesn't look real. Sea lions. Tourist trap treasures. Bags of candy, crazy socks, those cool spiral earrings. Picnic bench rest stops. Breakfast oysters. Smash and grabs. Naps in the park. Mara and her home. We wish we got to know you more. Breakfast for every meal. Golden Gate graffiti. Snowed in roads. Trespassing for the best view. Marble cake mountains in Death Valley. Wooden floors in the Tenderloin. Watching artists croon. Forest fire sunsets outside of Yosemite. Escaping from Alcatraz. Parking tickets outside that sex club in the Castro. Waking up from dreams about money. Psilocybin sand dunes. Uncontrollable laughter. Terror-filled drives through dark voids. Thinking that there are many ways that the soul can sing. Mine hums gently in an outward fashion while a symphony swells within. Yours radiates through the rafters like a church choir. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 106. All right, so this one was recorded mm, two-ish or so weeks ago. Actually, no, wait. I guess like two and a half weeks ago at this point. I did three weeks throughout California. So the last, let me take a look at this, the last five episodes, I believe. One, two, three, four, five, yeah. The last five episodes that you've listened to have been from California, and this one will round out the California content that I recorded. Uh, got these done pretty quick, and then I took a week off from the podcast. So in that week, what did I do? So I started out, and you know this, I started out in San Diego, then I drove to Corona, then I drove to Los Angeles, then I took, what, a bus to San Jose, yeah, yeah. Then I drove to San Francisco. And from there, I went to Death Valley, which was amazing. Uh, really, really beautiful. Not that many people there this time of year. Not hot like it can be, or not like it can be, like it absolutely is in the summer. Um, so it was, a, it was an awesome trip. And this one that you're going to hear today was recorded back in San Diego. My guest is Sarah Gerling. 
Sarah works for an organization called the Border Angels. So I'll say at the outset a few things first. Uh, you're going to hear traffic in the background. I actually thought maybe that the recording wouldn't be workable, but it's actually quite good. Um, so I'm happy about that. But you will hear some traffic in the background, so I'm sorry that you'll hear cars and stuff like that. We were kind of like in a strip mall, not kind of. Why do I keep doing that? We were in a strip mall right next to pretty busy highway. And so there's a lot of street noise, but uh, you can hear both of us clearly. Uh, I will also say at the outset, hmm, how should I phrase this? Well, you know, I'm not really looking to engage in political debate. You know, immigration right now is a really hot topic. It, it, it was one of like the pillars of the current presidential administration's platform, right? Like the build the wall stuff. And, and, you know, that's an ongoing issue. Obviously there was the government shutdown. Now there's um, like a national emergency being called so that federal funds can be accessed to build this wall. Uh, it's a hot topic and uh, it makes for sexy media. Uh, it gets people's emotions on both sides really high. Why is there, it's crazy. In this building, I don't know. There are these like meetings that take place on Fridays. Uh, so today uh, is holy day. So this, this building is mostly Hasidic and the kids on Friday have these like meetings in the hallway. It's really interesting. I wish like I could kind of like get in on what's going on. Um, but right now they're banging chairs and stuff out there. So sorry about that. Anyway, so yeah, I'm not looking to engage in a political debate really. Um, you know, the purpose of me, well, I guess there's many purposes, but one of like boiled down simply, I like having people that are doing things that I think are interesting on the podcast. I like sharing a piece of culture or a piece of the world that maybe is different and foreign to you. So likely you are not someone who's assisting with, um, you know, supplying, uh, immigrants at the border. Right. So listening to this episode, you get a glimpse into, into that world. And I'll also say at the outset, and I say this in our conversation today that I, I don't have answers, right? I don't know how to run a country. I think that, yeah, if you are running a country, you should have, uh, solid and workable immigration policy. I do think that if you are in the government of a country, that it is your duty to service the people from that country, right? But I also <laughs> believe in people's right to, you know, have a good life. And that doesn't mean necessarily that everyone in the world has a right to be an American, but one of the things that the border angels do is they, they simply leave water out for migrants, right? And now that's sort of being criminalized, sort of, that is being criminalized and it's being said that that's like aiding and abetting, you know, a person who's breaking the law, right? And so at some of these like sort of stations, not really stations, but at these sort of water drops, uh, what they're finding is now people are slashing the barrels of water, and so naturally then that water is wasted. And so to me, like you can be for a strong border policy and also want people to live. Like I, 
I would think that it's almost a, to try to come up with a justification for that is silly because that just seems like standard ethics, right? If you go out to a water drop and you slash water that someone desperately needed, and let's say they de- they become dehydrated out in the desert and they die, is that not murder? I don't know, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm not uh, intelligent enough to have a philosophical debate about this, but in quite simple terms, I would think that most people would want people to at least not die. (laughs) Maybe that sounds too simple. I don't know. But so, yeah, I'll say that I guess that's my bias. Um, I don't think children, uh, and you know, infants should be separated from families. I don't think they should be put in detention centers. And I don't think that people who are trying to create a better life, a life for themselves and their families should, should perish. Right. Um, so I guess maybe that's a real simple way of looking at it. Like I said, I don't have any political answers or policy answers or anything like that, but, um, what the border angels do is they, well, they do many things. Like I said, there are water drops from volunteers, but they also provide um, advice, legal services, uh, information, and supplies, and things like that for people who are uh, trying to migrate into the United States. And Sarah breaks all that down for us in a, in a much more eloquent way than I can. And um, she's really passionate about it. Um, and I respect the work that she's doing, and I respect the Border Angels. I think that it's... Uh, it's a scary time, especially when something like leaving water out for people becomes criminalized, right? Like just trying to do something that you think is helping someone's basic human rights is something that could land you in, in hot water or in jail. So, um, I don't know, man, maybe just the older I get, the more I think that we should treat people with a little more tenderness. So even if you're listening to this and you're like, Nope, I listened to everything Sarah said and I still want strong border policy. Okay. You know, I don't hate you. <laughs> I don't think Sarah would hate you. I think she'd be disappointed. I think maybe the organization would be disappointed, but, you know, you're allowed to have different beliefs. This is America. That's sort of the point of a, of a free nation founded on, you know, liberal ideals. All right, I'm ranting a bit here while we're at eight-something minutes. Um, Okay, so this conversation is with Sarah Gerling from the Border Angels. I hope you learned something. Please listen to it with an open mind. Really quick before we get to the interview. Ah, sorry, folks. But I have a Patreon account if you want to support this podcast. Um, You can do so by going to patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. And that's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly, you can give 50 cents, $1, $5, $10, and that will go to supporting the podcast and keeping the stories coming and the travel going and all that good stuff. If you have something like five bucks a month and you're like, hmm, what do I pick? Well, pick something different. (laughs) If you have $10, give five to me and give five to something else. But if you only have the five and you want to give the one thing, then yeah, give it to the Border Angels. They deserve it much more than I do. I'm just sharing their story. They're actually doing the hard work. 
But if you have enough disposable income and you want to help me, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. All right, Tim, shut up. All right, folks, I hear you. Enjoy this one. So sort of to set the context for people and to admit my own bias just so that it doesn't, you know, color the conversation maybe, I'm not going to get political, but... That's fine. My my whole life, my working life, and also just my life life, I've been surrounded by people who were migrants, essentially. Like, my paternal grandmother was German, came to the United States through Canada when her house had been bombed during World War II. I, my first job was working in a restaurant, working in kitchens, and I would assume this is nationwide, but especially in New York, like, your kitchen staff, is, they're Latin Americans. They're primarily Mexico and Central America. Um, I, from like 18 to 22, did labor, and I worked with guys from Mexico, from Nicaragua, and then in my role as an educator in Brooklyn, you know, I had families where uh, parents had been even illegal immigrants or... I had migrant families and they were hardworking and I even had to provide testimony when ICE started rounding up families and they were coming after one of our families. So I've been around really hardworking immigrants that I think are essentially what are the backbone of America. That's like, to me, that's what America is. So, I mean, I guess people should have that and understand that, yeah, I'm, maybe my bias will color the conversation a little bit, but being here in San Diego, I had read about Border Angels, uh, the organization, and, you know, it, I know I'm dominating the conversation here, so I'll let you speak in a second. I'm sorry. But obviously, uh, immigration and migration is like a hugely contentious issue politically now and is like a political tool, essentially. Um, so maybe we'll start with sort of a broad overview of what the Border Angels do. Sure, That's sure. I, I want to thank you for bringing, bringing me on your podcast. Yeah, of course. And I want to thank you for, um, you know, that introduction and, and giving me a little bit about your background. Uh, I just want to start with saying, you know, no, no human being is, is illegal. And, um, you know, there are just millions of undocumented workers in this country. Like you said, you know, you've worked side by side with them as labor. And you know that the hardworking ethic of um, laborers in this country transcends any race um, and creed. And it's really all about, you know, the hard work and family values and the blood, sweat and tears of laborers um, trying to make it day to day in this country. And that's what makes us all Americans, regardless of whether we have a piece of paper, you know, with some ink on it that says whether or not, you know, we have those rights. Um, but obviously we all have a inalienable right to um, take care of our families and do what we have to do, you know, to survive day to day. So what Border Angels has done and the founder of Border Angels is uh, Enrique Morones, a nationally renowned humanitarian. Um, in the 1980s, he found out that there were migrants living in the canyons here in San Diego. Wow. 
um, and he was surprised. <laughs> I think that was yeah. his reaction, probably much like yours. Wow. So he uh, went down and saw that there were, in fact, uh, next to, um, you know, suburban fancy homes uh, in the canyons, workers who were camped out, um, living down there, um, and would emerge from the canyons every day to go work as domestics and laborers in the kitchens and landscape business and construction, um, and then return to the canyons. And primarily that was because they couldn't afford you know, to pay the high cost of rent and utilities. And so we found out that those were, you know, your um, kind of per diem laborers and day-to-day um, -day, um, intermittent workers that are looking for work. And um, that still exists, not just here in San Diego, but I think, you know, all around the country that there are, you know, workers that, um, and not just migrants, but we have a, you know, large um, segment in our of our population that because of the economic um trends um, and high cost of living, not just in San Diego, but in cities across our country, um, are housing insecure. So from there, Border Angels um, at Enrique Morones, right, uh, Border Angels becomes this organization, and we are doing work uh, more and more throughout the decades, um, doing outreach to migrants and discovering the problematic of this um, unfortunate uh, reality of workers who are migrating. And really a lot of the work becomes more devastating as Operation Gatekeeper comes into effect. And Operation Gatekeeper is this um, very punitive um, death, death um, and deadly um, policy where through the Clinton administration, um, there's border reinforcement and uh, a fence is built that forces migrants to not cross in urban areas as they once did, mm. but they seek to cross now in more remote and treacherous terrain to the east of San Diego. And since that time, um, you know, first the numbers were in the, you know, one, two, three thousand, then ten thousand. Now we count it in the more than fifteen thousand. Um, and it really it's an innumerable number because we don't know exactly how many migrants have died in the mountainous winter um, you know, temperatures or, or in the in the hot deserts, just wandering lost in the desert, you know, unable to get water. So um, for for decades now, um, border angel volunteers have gone into deserts and placed water and sometimes, you know, boxes with blankets and other small provisions. Um, and, you know, what's really sad is that sometimes we go back to areas where we've left those um, provision sta stations and found them vandalized. Yeah. It's, so it's really interesting to me that you mentioned that um, some of these issues date back to the Clinton administration. You know, I, I cannot pretend to be knowledgeable on state building. I'm not like a scholar on governance or even on like on immigration. But and I'm certainly not a fan of 
the build the wall rhetoric and all that stuff. But if you even go back and listen to like um, Obama's stance, it, it he wasn't for building a wall, but it was actually a kind of a similar stance to what the previous administration and to what the current administration are taking on being really strict on immigration and on sort of the path to naturalization and the path to citizenship and even the path to obtaining a visa, which is quite a lengthy and arduous process. Um, would you say that it is the contention of the border angels that maybe a way in sort of mitigating some of these problems is to make that process uh, easier or quicker or more seamless? Absolutely. I think that the fault of a um, process for um, people who are not in a position to um, regularize their status um, has caused, you know, people to go into the shadows as, you know, the refrain goes, you know, millions living in the shadows. Um, to not be able to assert um, their rights, um, people, you know, afraid to report um, injustices against them, um, whether by law enforcement or by others in their community, um, afraid to seek services that would otherwise be available to them. Um, I think that that's a miscarriage of, of justice and just of, as a society in general. I think that, um, you know, just delays in not being able to pass a comprehensive immigration uh, policy in this country has left people very vulnerable, uh, you know, men, women, and children alike. And this has been going on for decades. I mean, we haven't had a... Um, real reform since the 80s mm. when a uh, amnesty was passed in this country and that was a very long time ago and um, you know there are millions that await a reform at this time now a large injustice that is happening right now that many you know currently talk about and say, well, people need to wait in line if they want to get into this country legally. We see a lot of people fleeing from Latin America, um, you know, Central America, due to, um, you know, many dynamics playing out that have led to people being in fear of, you know, violence and persecution, fearing for their safety, um, fleeing in large caravans. And people say, you know, if you want to come to this country, you have to come here legally. Well, there is a legal way, and that legal way, as, you know, talked about and um, mandated by international law, is, is asylum process, being able to show up at the international border of the United States and plead asylum. Um, and these refugees uh, have been turned away, blocked, literally. And so if we're not even respecting the rights of people to be able to come to this country through that legal process, um, then what does that say about us as a nation? Uh, so we, we won't allow people that are already here a process, and then we're blocking a process to those, you know, fleeing for their lives to come through a legal process that is already established. Then we're just not being a humanitarian nation. We're not really standing for the values that we say we, you know, uphold. Um, that Statue of Liberty is, you know, is probably weeping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and we... 
we as a nation really need to be saying, who are we? You know, do we do we really stand for what we say we stand for? And I don't think we're as divided as we say we are. I think that there's a lot of hyperbole and we're making enemies of people that are are not enemies, right? Like you said, you've been in the kitchen with your brothers and sisters um, laboring side by side. We know that there is a myth out there about, you know, um, Latin American immigrants and immigrants in general being, you know, criminals and blah, 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 you know, coming here to harm. That isn't true. The, the statistics show that immigrants are not causing crime at higher rates than native born citizens. These are, you know, um, this is spin. Um, by people who are anti-immigrant and it's xenophobia at its worst and it's the worst of the American spirit and um, so Border Angels as an organization really spends a lot of time dismissing um, that rhetoric and standing up for America and standing up for the values of um, what this country stands for and saying we reject the xenophobia and we reject the hatred and we want to see people doing the right thing um, and bullying and promoting um, a welcoming environment because we know that if we allow the country to proceed with targeting one group then you give rise to more anti-semitism that's exactly what has happened mm. right First you targeted, you know, and we saw a rise in hatred against, you know, Mexicans and Latin Americans. And then we see, you know, shooting up a synagogue. I mean, we haven't had that kind of rise as, as you know, well stated and documented by the Southern Poverty Law Center, a tremendous rise in hate acts in recent years. And um, it's truly frightening. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Um, I, w I was thinking when you were talking about asylum seekers being turned away earlier, it, is that under the guise of, or is the reason for that because they don't meet the exact political definition of an asylum seeker? Or, or is it, well, no, you're not actually fleeing a violent regime? Is that sort of what's being told to people as, as they don't achieve asylum status, asylum seeking status? Tim, I'm so glad you're asking that question because it allows us to be able to clarify. People are not even allowed to get in the line and huh. approach the border. So there's literally been like this, you know, new policy to not allow people to enter or now there's, um, for example, here in San Diego recently, a pilot program um, that they now are talking about spreading to other border towns um, where they want to return asylum seekers mm. to wait in Mexico um, while their asylum cases play out in the courts. That is unprecedented. That was not the way it's ever been done before. This administration is acting in uncharted ways. Um, the process has been, you know, when you're 
when you're uh, processed with an asylum claim, you're supposed to be able to come to the country. Um, they process you and then you await while your case is pending. But in this case, now here in San Diego, they've begun already to return some migrant or asylum seekers to Mexico. And under the pilot program, they intend to return, you know, many more. People are literally under threat of um, like a reverse of what has traditionally been the process. And it really goes against, um, against what is lawful. Um, but they're looking for these loopholes in, um, in every way they can to, um, to deprive people of what is their right. And again, um, you know, when you're asking about, you know, what is the reason, are they, you know, what is, what are the grounds? Well, we don't really know unless people are able to go through their due process, right? Every single person's situation who is fleeing has the right to petition before a judge and make their case. But if they're facing roadblock after roadblock, not being able to get in the line, being blocked, being told no, being given misinformation, being returned, not being allowed access to judges, not being allowed access to counsel. For example, um, lawyers who have been um, giving allied lawyers of, you know, border angels and organizations who um, border angels has, you know, um, worked with, um, you know, being questioned um, about services they provide. Border Angels is, that's one of the services that Border Angels provides. Uh, we we provide le free legal services oh, wow. um, every Tuesday in our office. Uh, we have many volunteer lawyers who provide free legal services. We also provide legal services in Tijuana. Um, but it's, it's not just us. There are many um, allied organizations who are providing legal services, um, but there are some organizations who uh, were recently targeted and, you know, visas revoked. Wow. Um, so we do see intimidation. We, we also know that there are other um, organizations who do work similar to Border Angels, such as um, outreach, you know, in remote areas of the desert, dropping water. Um, who have been charged with federal crimes for providing water. Yeah, I just read an article just the other day in, like, I think it was the Washington Post that said that, like, increasingly it's becoming criminalized to drop water, or if it's not criminalized, there's, like, additional intimidation that's been that's happening. That's right. The day after no more deaths, activists were charged um, and, and uh, found guilty, we, um, Border Angels, also were warned that the same could happen to us. Wow. So it's very real, the intimidation and the, um, you know, encroachment upon humanitarian activists' realm and scope of work in these times. And so we've also seen that with people who are providing a legal counsel to asylum seekers in Mexico and um, to some degree here in the United States. It's really interesting to me because it's like, if, if the people are out there anyway, right? So it's not like 
you know, the water drops or what's making people try to cross over the border. They're out there anyway and they need water. So if it, the alternative then is what? Dehydration and death? Like it, it's, it seems like such a strange tactic to take to be like, okay, we're going to prevent these people from, from getting water. It's not going to stop people from attempting to migrate. Look, nobody... Nobody can accuse Border Angels or this organization that operates in Arizona, No More Deaths, of aiding and abetting migrants or asylum seekers or any other undocumented human being from crossing here for our water. Right. Nobody is coming here for our water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Nobody wants our water, so but let's go out there, you know, risk our lives to get some of this water or one of these blankets. People are coming here, um, and they have been coming here. Um, you know, it's an age-old situation, human migration. Um, it is the human condition that we seek out, um, you know, better conditions for ourselves and our families. And um, to a large degree, the United States has something to do with the current waves of migration from Latin America because of political um, and, um, you know, inter interventions, uh, economic and geopolitical um, policies in the region. And, uh, you know, we, we have to acknowledge that. And um, nobody is coming here because they want the water that the border angels is putting in the desert. However, that seems to be, you know, implied. And we just want to make it clear that human migration has been happening. The border, this wall and these walls that have already existed to some degree, the fence goes across, you know, Native American territory. It goes through, you know, ranchers land. It it divides sensitive habitats of endangered animals. There are many, many issues that intersect and, you know, not the least of which is the thousands and thousands of human lives that have been lost because people have no legal way of coming here. There is no line. And if there's anything that I really want your listeners to take away from this interview is that for all of the talk and the saturation on ra radio and television and mainstream media about you know people needing to get in line is there is no legal line. Uh, it, they have made it very difficult for people to come here legally, as I described, both for asylum seekers and anybody else wanting to come here. And um, it is a myth that people can just get in a line. And the desperation, uh, nobody wants to risk their children. And um, there have been just so many stories told of people carrying disease and Look, in Latin America, there are just, you know, many, many programs of, you know, vaccinations going through towns and people are okay. These aren't like zombie ridden, you know, disease ridden people coming across trying to, you know, the, there's no 
harm. The, this whole discussion about, you know, crisis at the border and immediate need for a wall construction, this is all hyperbole. And it's very damaging because, again, it causes people to want to cause harm to others, fellow human beings. And so Border Angels has been doing with volunteers, and we've had thousands of volunteers from all over the country and from throughout the world that come here to help. And thank goodness we put out the call and said, come here, human rights observers, um, don't leave us alone in this time because it is a very dangerous time. And I'll give you an example. When the last migrant caravan came through um, here, through Tijuana, um, we had um, up to 6,000, we've had up to 6,000 migrants come through Tijuana from Central America. Um, a city of migrants built, you know, built on migration. Originally Native American land of the Kumeyaay of this area, but mm. you know, since then, pretty much invaded by everybody. The Spanish, you know, Mexicans, Americans, everybody's laid some claim to these lands over time. But Tijuana, recently, since October, about 6,000 Central American migrants, and the mayor of Tijuana, instead of being a welcoming mayor and looking for a way to deal with the situation with a calm demeanor, he began to spew xenophobic hatred and made unwelcoming remarks, stirred up protests against the migrants. And so Border Angels immediately got out in front of this and said, look, this is intolerable, apologize, you know, don't do this. Human rights observers, please, you know, everybody watch because this could stir up protests. And sure enough, some migrants were attacked and people came out and protested. And we thought that this could lead to greater, you know, beatings or we didn't know what could happen. Now, fortunately, the majority of Mexican people are kind and loving and welcoming and didn't follow his lead, but he's still the mayor. You know, I personally think that he should be um, removed by the people or that he should step down, but he still refuses to apologize to this day. I think that it all requires a sober conversation, which we, with like media in this country, we certainly don't do. But like uh, proponents of the strictest forms of, you know, uh, immigration policy soberly look at it and think if this was my family and it was about my children surviving me surviving my family surviving what would i do and on the flip side of that it's hard to do this i know but for somebody that's looking at someone who's a nativist right to me like nativism is fear like you're you're likely not to be a nativist if you are very economically secure because you know you wouldn't even think, oh, someone might be in competition for my job, which we know like that's not even necessarily the case. But we can't have that sober conversation where like we look at everything from a common sense view when everything is used, like you said, as like hyperbole and crazy rhetoric because it's a political tool. And something else I was thinking about to come back to what you're talking about before with like the idea that there's all these criminals and we talk about MS-13. And w w actually on Long Island, there's a, there's a town that has some 
MS-13 activity. This is where I, I grew up on Long Island in Brentwood, right? But Brentwood is known as one of the poor neighborhoods, right? Oh. And to me, almost a common sense view is we should look at the countries of origin where people are coming from, even if, if there are MS-13 members from El Salvador coming to America, right? And trying to figure out why is MS-13 flourishing there and how can we stop it? And so opponents of that would say, well, it's not, you know, the United States' responsibility to fix the problems of every country. Okay, but if we're in Vietnam, in the Vietnam War, under the guise of, like, democracy and preventing the spread of communism, or even if we're in Syria today to, you know, under the guise of making it a future democracy and preventing an ISIS takeover, well, then why can't there be support in, you know, Mexican towns where the cartels have taken over, or in El Salvador where people are are poor and are, you know, looking for a way out and are turning to an organization like MS-13. Like, we're all, like, knowledgeable enough in 2019 to understand why somebody joins a gang, right? It's impoverishment and a lack of a family unit, and so they're looking for something, uh, you know, group membership. And so to me, it just seems like, okay, sure, then if you really want to prevent all this immigration to the United States, why don't we work for, a, a, like, a, a way on a on a global scale where we can make every place a little bit better and then people might not you know want to leave their country of origin I, maybe that's a like idealistic way of looking at it but it just seems to me like a common sense view of looking at the issue i don't know <laughs> uh you know there are um gangs and um drugs and um you know, bad things that happen in every community and the uh, upper echelons of the, you know, rich and um, comfortable are no exception. Um, there are plenty of prisons of the um, white collar criminal um, demographic that are filled um, with gangsters who, um, you know, wore a, a suit and tie. Look at the Wall Street now, bailouts. Now <laughs> the, um, this whole, you know, idea that um, somebody is going to come and take your lunch and that that person who's going to come and take your lunch and being comfortable and used to pointing the finger at the person who's most likely to come and take your lunch being the immigrant or the person of color or, you know, the criminal, um, you know, we need to break ourselves of that bias uh, because that's exactly what it is. Let's be realistic. The person taking our lunch is the corporation, the, the insurance company, you know, who denies us health care, the um, Wall Street traders who created the bubble, you know, and the um, last foreclosure crisis that, you know, exactly. forced Americans yeah. who worked so hard to, you know, build up the equity in their homes and saw it all go down the tubes in one fell swoop, you know, um, teacher pensions, public employee pensions that all, you know, lost so much, um, you know, the, um, wages of, of income earners in this country that have not kept up with inflation uh, for decades. The people taking the lunch of the American worker is not, you know, the immigrant. Hmm. Um, there is not enough, there are not enough immigrants in this country 
to take your lunch. There, there's not enough immigrants to even tickle your rib, you know, um, in, in that respect. Um, and I don't know if that's a good analogy, but there are enough of these, um, you know, interests working against us every day um, as the common worker in this country um, with the deregulation of the standards, for example, that prevent us um, from putting checks in place to protect our water um, and, you know, being able to um, know what's in our food, being able to know, you know, what's in the things that we eat, being able to control um, the prices and, you know, of of the things that we eat. Um, so I, I think that the people that are really, that we really need to be worried about um, are, are like these bigger, scary monsters that we all be needing, need to work together. Um, and it's a really much bigger fight, um, but it's so easy to castigate and point the finger at the vulnerable it's so easy to, to you know, we, we've, we've seen Donald Trump, for example, from day one of his campaign decide who his boogeyman was going to be. And he created a following and he's got a solution. His solution is the wall. And in the meantime, you know, there's like all this deregulation going on. And so oil, everybody from oil companies to insurance companies to everybody else and their mother is going to have a field day. And I think that those things are going to hurt the American worker. Um, but that's not the way it's being spun. That's why you're seeing more teachers coming out and saying, hey, 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 wait a minute, you know, hands off my pension, hands off my paychecks. That's why you're seeing more and more um, you know, people calling for Medicare for all because they're saying, wait a minute, you know, we should be able to, you know, have a say in our health care in this country. So I'm glad that that's happening. But back to immigration, um, we're seeing a lot, a lot of hatred in this country. And um, I'm glad to hear that you're coming from um, an immigrant background and that that's kind of where your grounding is. Um, yeah, just try to I look. Think it, it kind of set, sets you up to understand what what I'm saying about you know the more the more you're targeting a population, the the less likely you are to you know to 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 roll that back once it gets going. Like the in Germany, they didn't start you know with the Holocaust it kind of snowballed towards that horrible mm. end, you know? Yeah, and I'm just like, I'm like, you know, I'm, a, I'm in, in favor of people. I, I, I'm deeply distrusting of almost both sides politically. But, I mean, you know, we just saw, I was watching the State of the Union when I flew over here. Um, thank you, JetBlue. It's a little plug for them. Um, but... You know, there, it's, there's still this idea being touted like, um, you know, China, China is, is taking jobs and we're going to bring manufacturing back to the United States. And it's like, well, so those jobs are gone, you know, like, um, who is it? Ford now who's only making trucks, right? So, so th th those manufacturing jobs are gone. And with the increase of technology and as jobs become automated more and more and more, like they're, 
you know, trucking's going to go away once there's self-driving cars. So, you know, people are people are political pawns, like people are votes. And, and there's a lot of people who are believing that, like, okay, great, yeah, we'll have these jobs again and we'll take our jobs back from, from the immigrants and things like that. And it's like, no, like none of that really is, is, is true. Um, it is a little strange to me now, like, again, like the great equalizer to me is the internet and we all have this information at our fingertips. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like people should be able to be swindled so easily. Um, but I don't know, that's just a, a long-winded way of, of uh, me saying like, I just, I'm, I'm for people. And I do think that there should be immigration policy, right? I, I don't know exactly what it should be, but I damn well know that like, if someone is on the point of dehydration in the desert and you're going and you're slashing the water that was put out for them and that means that they're then gonna die, that's murder. Like, I don't, I, I can't see even being an, an opponent of, you know, a more lax immigration policy, like why you would want someone to die. Uh, I, again, maybe that's idealistic, I don't know. I was thinking though, you know, e even for me, I haven't been down to the border. I'm like probably, what, like a half hour from the border here. Um, and so I, like most people, are, I'm just hearing what we hear on the media, uh, which, you know, on one side is saying, well, there's these unruly caravans, they're everywhere, it's crazy, they're breaking down the border. And then you just saw, like, the other day, I think it was the mayor, the governor in, or the governor of, uh, of uh, Arizona saying, like, no, relax, it's not that bad. Like, what does, what does it look like physically, like, at the border? Like, so the governor of California is saying the same thing. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's um, completely blown out of proportion. Uh, Donald Trump was um, told by the United Nations to let the asylum seekers proceed with their asylum petitions. And his response was to send, you know, 5,000 troops to the border and he militarized this zone here, like you said, 30 minutes from where we're sitting right now. Um, those troops were here through Thanksgiving and they were here through Christmas and um, they proceeded to put, you know, lots of um, wire, barbed wire um, on existing fence and um, have had uh, military style exercises and you know noisy helicopters and all kinds of exercises um, in the region um, patrolling the frontier and uh, now uh, Donald Trump as you heard in his um, recent communications is going to be sending more troops um, to the border uh, just you know in the states east of here because there is a um, another caravan that has arrived in um, Piedras Negras. Um, so there's more uh, militarization of, of the border with Mexico mm. that, that's continuing to happen. Um, the caravans by and large have um, consisted of uh, men, women, and children who want nothing more than to be able to present themselves at the border and make their asylum um, petitions. They have been blocked. And now there's, like I said, this pilot program, which they want to, you know, expand um, outside of San Diego. 
um, that is not, you know, consistent with the law as it has been, um, you know, for for years. Um, we, you know, human human rights observers are very concerned for the health, safety, and well-being of all people who are in this situation. Um, of the asylum seekers. Um, there have been a few cases where people did approach the border and um, as is now been featured on, you know, news stations around the world, um, the border patrol and um, agents of the government did gas men, women and children um, when they were approaching the border. Um, that was condemned by um, nurses. Um, I know that the National Nurses United, the largest nurses union in the United States, put out a uh, a statement saying that that was, you know, abhorrent, um, that that was not the way you treat children um, and, and women, um, but especially, you know, concerned for the children and that it had, you know, adverse and lasting effects. Um, for the government to have done that. These people were not armed. Um, there was, you know, some, you know, kind of um, short scuffle. Uh, they, there were, you know, accusations of rock throwing, but these people were not, you know, of any significant threat to the authorities. Um, but it was, it was very unfortunate. But all people want to do is be able to present themselves um, and they're being blocked from being able to do so. Um, but by and large, people have been extremely cooperative. And again, we're talking about thousands of migrants. So if there was a process, instead of sending thousands of troops, mm. the U.S. government sent, you know, hundreds of judges, counselors, um, and people to review petitions and handled it as a mature society would, a leader in the world, um, basically the same thing that we tell other, um, you know, leading nations to do under crisis. Um, but that's not what we're doing. We're not demonstrating who we are as a world leader. And I think it has to do a lot with who's in the White House at this time. And, uh, it has everything to do with who's in the White House at this time. And it's intentional. It's completely intentional. And I think it has to do with the demographic of the people. And I think um, the administration has been very clear. He has, Donald Trump has made statements about, you know, why can't the immigrants come from, you know, European countries? You know, we want people from, you know, other countries. So, that's that's blatant racism and xenophobia is is dangerous and it's unfortunate and it's causing uh, suffering and as you know uh, the caging of children there's documented uh, separation of yeah. children and family separation we we don't know now exactly how many children have been separated uh, the government has said that it would be too um, inconvenient to reunify the children, all of the children that have been separated. Wow. This is horrible. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, Nazi Germany did. And 
we're doing it and a lot of people are kind of ignoring it or saying, oh, but the conditions couldn't possibly be that bad. Come on, we're all against human trafficking. This is human trafficking on a large legalized scale of people that were already in a very vulnerable situation so much that, you know, people um, in detention now are going on hunger strikes, are being forced fed, just like, um, you know, captives were in Guantanamo. So we have a lot of really ugly dynamics going on that are frankly embarrassing for the United States of America as a civilized society. Yeah, and again, um, and I think we should maybe wrap in a minute, it's one. Um, But I think we need to just like, to look inward a little bit. Like you mentioned Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany, Germany had been so poor because of what happened after World War One, And so then you have a situation where, yeah, people are looking for a scapegoat, right? They're looking for, uh, for, for someone to blame for their position in life. And again, like, let's look at why people might support these policies, right? Like, what is broken here in this country? What are the needs of the people here that are not being met? that allow them to sort of look at someone else as like the source of their problems and their frustration. And let's try to fix those. (laughs) And like I said, maybe like some sort of a global coalition where we're trying to fix those problems for people in other countries as well. You know, uh, we'll sort of get in the weeds here in that conversation and that I could think like, you know, uh, maybe there's a reason why people, you know, uh, maybe the rich or whoever doesn't want everyone to be uplifted. That's maybe another conversation, but I don't know if there's anything that a listener can maybe get from this conversation, especially if there's somebody that is maybe, like I've said, like an opponent of, uh, you know, a more, what we're calling a more fair uh, process for immigration is just that, you know, that person could be you, you know, I, I, I wasn't born wealthy, but I was born in a family that made sure that I read when I was young and like my parents are divorced, but they were together enough to where like I had a nuclear family unit where I, I turned out pretty good, you know, and I, I saw hardworking parents and you can't choose where you're born. And, you know, it's sort of the roll of the dice or you're sort of dealt the cards that you're dealt at the point of your birth. And that in itself is not, you know, it's not my fault that someone else is born in a more equal in a, a more unequal situation, but yeah, that happens. And so let's look at that with a little more humanity and, you know, compassion and say, okay, how can that person be uplifted to maybe get to the same place that I am in life? Uh, so yeah, maybe that's a good way to end it. I don't know. <laughs> thank you, Tim. I want to thank you for having me on yeah. your podcast. And I want to say, you know, um, that person is you because, you know, I want everybody who's listening to your podcast, you know, if they're Italian, if they're Irish, I want them to see themselves Mm. in every Central American that's being talked about in this manner, in this dialogue, in this current, you know, um, wave of discussion in our country's current, you know, fractured state, um, in this talk uh, about, you know, the caravans and remember their um, ancestors in this country and everything that they went through, Irish um, immigrants, Italian immigrants, um, the incarcerated and, um, you know, um, here in California, what happened to the Japanese and Mm. the internment camps. So we can learn so much about what happened to us 
in our past and avoid making the same mistakes and going down that path again. Yeah. So just thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Cheers. All right, everybody, that is a wrap on episode number 106 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Sarah Gerling. Thank you to the Border Angels. Thank you to you, Voyagers, for tuning in to this episode. If you don't mind, could you please head over to iTunes or wherever really you listen to the podcast, whatever app you use, although I think iTunes is the best when leaving a review, and If you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be absolutely killer. That goes a long way in helping to get the podcast noticed and put into algorithms and things like that. So I'd appreciate that. Also, if you can support financially, that's also awesome. You can go to patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter, just like the podcast name. Uh, What else? Well, I'm... In New York again, and I think I'll be here for a little while. So I'll have some small trips going on, but there won't be like a long six months in Asia, at least for a little while. Looking at possibly doing something come the summer, but I'm sort of interested in exploring some other parts of the world. Uh, Really interested in South America, but if there are places that you think I should go check out, let me know if there's a certain attraction or a place or a recommendation or whatever. I love to hear from people. So you can hit me up on Instagram at the Voyages of Tim V. The Facebook is the Voyages of Tim Vetter. And my email is the Voyages of Tim Vetter at gmail.com. Love to hear from you folks. All right. Thanks again, folks. And as always, please take care of each other. Until next time.